Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. With it being Autism Acceptance Month, we certainly need acceptance in all areas of our society. still have a long ways to go. However, one place that for sure there needs to be so much more autism acceptance is in the workplace. That's why I'm so pleased Wanda Deschamps joins me on this episode of Autism Stories to discuss her work on increasing the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workplace. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Wanda, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I wanted to start off and kind of learn where does your story in the autistic community begin? Oh, that is such an interesting question that doesn't have a simple answer. When did I know that I was entering the autistic community and getting involved? Myself at almost the age of 47. So the summer 2017 when I was diagnosed with autism, but we had been somewhat involved before that because our older son was diagnosed with autism in 2012. And our younger son was diagnosed just before I was, and that, to a large degree, spurred me to ask for my own diagnosis. However, uh, I know now that, you know, I'd gone through my whole life with undiagnosed autism. So, unofficially, my entire life. And part of putting the puzzle pieces together was realizing that my family of origin, so my parents and my siblings, are neurological anomaly. So I thought there was a disproportionate number of uh, neurological conditions. I didn't know there was neurological conditions in my family, but was dismissed. And um, then as I sought my own diagnosis and as I was moving through psychological assessment and everything, started to realize, oh, okay, so I'm part of a much bigger picture with, as I mentioned, disproportionate number of neurological conditions really makes us an anomaly. You mentioned uh, having siblings, and I don't know if I've talked with anyone on Autism Stories that has as many siblings as you. You have nine siblings. Not, not only that, but you uh, were the youngest of, of 10. That sounds very overwhelming to me, <laughs> but, but can you talk a little bit about uh, that experience, um, how, that, how you feel like looking back that affected you as a younger autistic woman? That's such a great question, Doug. I could dedicate our entire time today actually <laughs> exploring this with you. I won't. But the reason I say that is because one of the reasons that 
I wasn't able to pinpoint that I had a different neurotype is because my family was different. And a big reason my family was different is what you just said, 10 kids. Not as unusual for my older siblings because some of their peers came from big families, but certainly by the time you got to me, um, it was unusual um, in, in the region that I grew up in. There were some big families, but uh, it was still unusual. Um, so my family was different. Uh, not only 10 kids, I guess I was the youngest of 10 kids, but one way that impacted me is that my parents were very much older. So my parents were 40 and 51 when I was born. So a couple things, you know, I had older parents, I came from a big family, and I came from a, a big family with all these mental health conditions. So in some ways, I was an only child because I was the youngest and there was a few years between myself and the next sibling to me and he went away for school. So I was actually alone a lot. And um, then there was this different neurotype that I didn't know that I had. So I would say directly answer your question, it was lonely. At times it was isolating. And it was challenging because my parents were really burnt out because they were being torn in all kinds of different directions with, uh, with uh, mental health conditions, uh, with my siblings and just other complications. I always like to add a positive. There was a lot of good. And that is, I think I learned to observe humans and, and human behavior. And I learned a lot from my older siblings. I still do have the good fortune of being close to a number of them, and I'm still learning from them every time I talk to them. So it was unique, and um, a lot of things made sense when I got my diagnosis that had not made sense before. I haven't seen much information out there about the experiences of autistic folks in larger families, but I would, I'd like to see more, more information out there about that, because I think that could be really interesting. I think it could be. I agree with you. For, I mean, for so many reasons, right? Yeah. Uh, and and um, one area that I am contributing to is research. Uh, so my husband and my sons and I are involved in a longitudinal study, the Center for Applied Genomics uh, at SickKids in Toronto. And I felt an, almost an obligation to contribute because of what I mentioned about my family. Because, yeah, how many families w would they have access to to participate with that number? Mm -hmm. with that number of siblings. Not, not that many. So, mm -hmm. felt I want to learn and I thought there's, there's an opportunity for others to learn. This is all about making the past smoother for other people. That's what I really want. Now, I always love talking with uh, other entrepreneurs, and, and you're the founder of Liberty Co., a consultancy firm that focuses on increasing the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workforce. What's been your experience in working with employers who wish to attract 
and retain neurodivergent uh, talent? Well, I think I have the good fortune of saying it's been positive because if organizations are reaching out to me, that mm. means they're interested. Yeah. So I, I'm starting at a different place than my past experience, which was myself as an employee in organizations that didn't have any understanding <laughs> of the neurodiverse population and neurodiverse talent and the opportunities within. So, so far it's positive. I say we're at the nascent stage. I know you're further ahead in the U.S. So, for instance, programs such as Microsoft, uh, At Work, IBM, EY, we're getting our first EY Center of Excellence in Neurodiverse Talent here in Toronto. Uh, but it is the first in Canada and, of course, the others started in the U.S. So we learn a lot from our neighbors to the south. So we're at the nascent stage, but I'm happy that we're doing it. You know, every day there is someone else who appears further ahead in terms of their interest and their understanding. When I say that, I mean based on reach, reach outs that, uh, that I have. So uh, that I'm receiving. Where are we? It's, you know, it's, it's a really wide range. So there's the larger companies, you know, and the, and the Canadian arms of, say, um, IBM and Microsoft and, and EY. And, and they're obviously, you know, they're far ahead. They are big. And they have a lot of resources. Now, that being said, I'm presenting to a startup uh, in two days. A team of 20 or 25. They're interested and they're hungry and they want to know. So, you know, size isn't everything. I'm, I am working with nonprofit as well. And I just finished a contract in the post-secondary sector. So, it's happening. It's positive. Are we where we should be or want to be? No. But I try to focus that you know, every day I feel like we're further ahead. I, I've talked with so many women here on Autism Stories that weren't diagnosed um, as autistic or, or discovered until they were adults. If after diagnosis, maybe they want to be the best advocate for their needs with their employer, do you have some suggestions for them how they would go about doing so? I have so many suggestions. <laughs> this is something that I'm asked about a lot. Well, first of all, if you're highlighting women who have been diagnosed, that's a big part of it, okay? So I was almost 47 before I was diagnosed. So how can you advocate for yourself? And how can you know your needs if you don't know yourself? And I didn't know myself. And I say self-awareness is the greatest gift that you can give yourself. So if you're talking about women who have been diagnosed, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, so what I've learned is, um, obviously, disclosure is a very personal decision. Whether or not you disclose, you have rights as an employee. And so not only did I not have my diagnosis, I also didn't know my rights fully. And even once I got my diagnosis, I didn't fully understand my rights. So if you decide to disclose and you decide to request accommodation, Know your rights. 
And don't take the first answer as the answer. That's another thing I did. I made an inquiry about an accommodation. I got an answer, and that was that. No, 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 no. You don't have to take the first answer as the answer, and you don't have to go at this alone. So another thing is I didn't pull in resources for myself. So the organization had its resources, you know, through human resources and so on, but I didn't have my own. So pull in, you know, whomever based on the kind of area that you need support, whether it's policy, whether it is legal support, more and more the resources are there. And don't apologize ever, ever. I use the hashtags unashamed, unafraid, undeterred. Don't apologize ever. You have a different neurotype. We, we don't ask people to apologize for the makeups of their brain. So have that confidence. And another thing that I add when I speak is I say, now that I have my diagnosis and I'm an entrepreneur and I'm really enjoying this pathway and, and um, I know who I am, people treat me differently. And I believe that if I knew myself, if I was self-aware and I had the self-assurance when I was still in the workplace, people would have treated me differently. And um, in terms of requesting accommodation and if I had pulled in resources and things like that, there would have been a different end to that story. So the good news is there's opportunities for others. I think that's some great advice. And uh, how can uh, our listeners learn more about your consultancy firm? Website is at www.libertyco.ca. And I'm active on LinkedIn. And I chuckle as I say that. I'm very active on LinkedIn, posting a lot, reacting to content, connecting with people. So if anyone's interested, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. And if you want to know more about Liberty Co., go to the website. And I have a media page. And so I have uh, links to articles there I've written and an interview. And then on my services page, I have linked to another interview. And then if you just Google Wanda Deschamps, other things will come up, other, other articles I've written and other interviews I've taken part in. I always feel that for neurodivergent folks that uh, the pathway of entrepreneurship is not that a lot more people can can benefit from going down that path. Uh, if there are neurodivergent folks listening that are interested in becoming an entrepreneur, um, what advice do you have for them? It's really interesting. My advice for members of the neurodiverse population considering entrepreneurship is not necessarily that different from members of the mainstream population. Eyes wide open. <laughs> so really know what you're getting into. If you think you're going to open your own business and the next day you're bringing in your check from your first client and, and uh, it's a big one and you're depositing it in your bank account and everything, you know, you might reconsider the media portrayal of the entrepreneur 
very successful and not necessarily an accurate reflection. It takes a while to establish your own business. I launched it late 2018, early 2019, and I'm just now in some cases seeing a return on all the investment I made in terms of time and resources from that period. So that's over two years. So eyes wide open, realistic. You have to work hard. Um, but you have to work hard if, if you're working within an organization for an employer. So that's not necessarily that different. You get to be your own boss. For me, the big thing is office politics and gossip was really detrimental to me as a woman with autism. So not only as a person with autism, but as a woman. So the sexism, the ableism rampant. And as I say, combine that with the politics and the gossip. And it was really, really challenging for me. And I know I'm not alone. So the, so the reason I raised that is because it is an option. I just never want employers to think it's a substitute for having inclusive workplaces. So members of the neurodiverse population can just go be entrepreneurs. We don't need to have inclusive workplaces because they'll just go work on their own. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's not one instead of the other. It's a combination. And again, risk of sounding like a broken record, I focus on pulling in resources. So in Canada, there's a lot more resources available. The federal government has a strategy that they want to double the number of women entrepreneurs by 2025. And of course, that's all women. That's not just women with disabilities, but it's certainly part of that. So there's more resources now than there has been. So again, pull in resources. Um, whether that's around funding or business planning or or whatnot. And um, like anything in life, it doesn't have to be forever. If you decide it's not for you, you can always decide to go back and, and look for a job within an organization. So in addition to Liberty Co., you are the co-founder of the National Day of Conversation. Uh, which is a day of digital conversation to raise awareness of sexual harassment of fundraisers in the charitable and non-profit sectors. Thinking maybe about autistic women out there, what do you think are the biggest challenges for them working in the nonprofit world? What I just hit on. So that is our nonprofit and charitable sectors are microcosms of our workplaces, which are sexist and ableist. They're also racist, ageist, and engage in other forms of discrimination, bigotry. So in 25 years, I did not meet one other woman with autism who was in fundraising. I met very, very few people who actually disclosed that they had disabilities in fundraising. There were some with visible disabilities, very few. Um, and then in terms of invisible, very few who openly disclosed. As I mentioned before, you know, 
this is to a large degree why I'm no longer there. And that's really unfortunate. And when I say that, I mean, on a broad scale, that's really unfortunate. The nonprofit and charitable sectors are missing a lot of talent by not supporting individuals with disabilities, men and women. But the nonprofit and charitable sectors have missed out on a lot of talent for a long time because they have not recruited and retained black community members or indigenous community members or individuals with other ethnicities. So the charitable sector is undergoing a reckoning right now, much needed and long overdue. My advice would be for autistic women who are interested in the charitable sector or they're there now and they really enjoy it. You know, I go back to the advice that I gave about the workplace. Know your rights. Don't apologize. And know that the charitable sector needs huge diversity because look at the diversity of its stakeholders. And its employee base needs to reflect the diversity of its stakeholder base. And it hasn't. It hasn't at all. It's been dominated by white, straight, abled men. And its stakeholder base and its donor base and its volunteer base is not white, straight, abled men. So I'm encouraged uh, by the level of dialogue that's emerging right now in both Canada and the U.S. And its lack of gender equity and the pervasive issue of sexual harassment is why I co-founded the movement that you touched on. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you're doing a lot, but something else that um, that you are a part of is you've been appointed to the Charity Circles Literary Review Panel, which is a diverse collection of people engaged in the uh, charity sector and in uh, social justice. The uh, panel shares a love of books and they highlight books that can help the charity sector deal with uh, changing complex dynamics coupled with inequity and injustice. So I'm just wondering, uh, before I let you go, do you have any good book recommendations for myself uh, and our listeners? You know, I have not read a book yet that's been a dud. <laughs> so Gail Pico, the editor of the Charity Report, invited me to join the circle just as I was leaving the charitable sector. I had made the decision that Liberty Co. was moving in the direction of neurodiverse talent. I just hadn't communicated it openly uh, because, frankly, there were some things I needed to get done before I was willing to, to put myself out there. So it was intriguing, you know, that Gail asked me, and um, I said that to her, and she said, no, we want you, we want you. And I said, okay, like, Gail Pico is a woman who knows what she's doing. So if she says she wants you, she wants you. And... Sheer coincidence, Doug. I can't even still fathom the co coincidence. The first book that Gail asked me to interview was about the adult diagnosis of a woman with autism. <laughs> and it was for Autism Awareness Month last year. So Sarah Kerchak released her book to align with Autism Awareness Month 2020. And that was the first book 
Gail asked me, and she didn't realize that Sarah had already caught my attention and was already on my radar because of the book, and I was going to attend the launch. And so, I mean, I think I think that was a sign. You know, this is going to be a good experience. So, I definitely recommend that. I would recommend the Power of Disability by Alan Mansky. It includes some pieces about autism, but it's not focused on autism. It's focused on disability, but I think relevant. Uh, to the autistic community in so many ways. How to Lose Any, How to Lose Everything by Krista Couture, a 2021 review of mine. Disability, not autism, a woman who lost her leg to cancer actually as a child. A really, really powerful story. But you know, as I say, I haven't read one book that's been a dud. Every book has been really interesting. Every book I've learned and every book in some way has touched on inequity and inequality. So I encourage folks to go to the Charity Reports website. Not only are my reviews there, but the reviews from the entire circle are there uh, because I do read the reviews as much as I can from the other members. And it's always really interesting to learn. I have five on my shelf now. I just received them from Gail. So I have some reading to do that's probably going to take me through the spring and summer. <laughs> it's been a great experience. It's not nothing I ever thought I would be doing or saw myself doing or ever really considered, and I wouldn't have if Gail hadn't asked me, but I'm so glad she did. It's been It's been a really good experience. Well, Wanda, I really appreciate your time and your expertise and for giving us resources uh, beyond this interview. So uh, thanks so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much to Wanda for the conversation. To learn more about Wanda and her work at Liberty Co., check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. If you are interested in how Autism Personal Coach can help you beyond this podcast, you can find a link to book a free call to learn how we help coach you to reduce your daily overwhelm and to get the things that you need and you want in your daily life. So book a Zoom call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you give us a, a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation with Jeff Snyder about the world of animation and how it can benefit some autistic people. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.